Happy, happy, happy Halloween season, everyone. And what better way to cap off Halloween season than with the Hellraiser movie club with none other than Goth Charlotte, as you may have read in the notes. Foolishly, uh, against her strong advice, I opened up the puzzle box, the lament configuration, and I was plunged into the party city that is the land of the Cenobites. And of course, they can strike it anywhere at any time. And with Goth Charlotte's help, I was able to extract myself. Dare I say it, she pulled me out by chatting about every aspect of the film, the uh, queer underpinnings, the S&M overpinnings, and Pinhead. So, I escaped Pinhead's plans for me. I don't know what Butterball's plans were for me, and I'd rather not think about it. And to help prevent me from opening that puzzle box again, because listen, I'm just a curious guy. I was never good with Rubik's Cube, but th this thing I seem to have uh, a knack for it. Go on over to patreon.com slash craigandfriends, see which reward tier works best for you, and then also consider that movie clubs, which are going to be very plentiful coming up, dare I say it, every Monday, be involved, get in on the action, and set yourself free by signing up for the movie clubs so you can add your questions, comments, and you know what? Your voice to future tapings. Upcoming tapings to live and die in L.A., looking for Mr. Goodbar, and many other cheerful classics probably ready in time for Christmas. So now, head over there. And then, you know, of course, leave a five-star review on whatever app you're listening to this on because that's the most sophisticated level of review and you, of course, are a superiorly sophisticated listener. Also go over to YouTube, sign up there because, oh, the wave of video, it's on the way. You're going to get subsumed unless you sign up. I guess, I suppose you wouldn't be subsumed if you wouldn't. Anyway, that, why put logic into it now? because it's Halloween. The only logic that makes sense is trick or treat. Now, get ready for the treat. And by that I mean, go to OnlyFans and sign up for Goth Charlotte's OnlyFans to see the whole picture, and it's quite a lovely picture. All right, now it's time for the show. Your hair looks beautiful. I don't think I've ever seen you. Oh, thank you. you. Yeah, that's fa I don't think I've ever seen you with uh, that shade of uh, hair before. I've never had it. It was just kind of a happy accident um, until my next appointment, but we'll we'll see. I'm getting a lot of compliments on it, but I, I miss like being a brunette for sure. You know, it's good though when people say like, oh, I miss that color because you're like, I know you always want more, right? Leave them wanting more. Yeah, and... it's true. <laughs> well, also, you know, I mean, uh, not to be uh, overly uh, flattering, but you, you're beautiful with any hair color. And so whatever oh, you try, you. you're welcome. Was the purple into black recent? Because I know the photo was, but sometimes you take photos at different times, etc. Um, when was the last time I had the purple and black? I think a few months ago, but I'm so like sporadic with like when I post pictures or um, yeah. Like if I post something, I wait until I'm like long gone from the location before um, <laughs> before I post anything. Keep them guessing. I really was uh, happy to be able to use one of your latex shots with Pinhead. I felt that it was Oh, perfect. it works so well. <laughs> yeah. And I think it would be great if uh, you could make a cameo in one of the next sequels because there's only, they're only at what, 25, 26? What's the, the number right now? like 78 or something that's that's right <laughs> see know. you're more of an expert see that's why we, we i turned to you for this and of course yeah i haven't um i haven't even seen all of them because they're like so many i think like after 
the fourth one. I haven't been able to keep up with it, but I saw the new one that's like, oh, it's, I don't know if it's technically canon. It's more of like a remake or a reimagining, yeah. but I was actually pleasantly surprised. I thought that one was pretty good. That's one of uh, uh, many great things I've heard from devotees of the series, which is great. Yeah, a bunch of folks around here, they were like, they couldn't believe that I hadn't seen it. They're like, oh, it's super queer. It's super horror. You would love it. Oh, yeah. They all loved the new one like you did. And then I heard some mentions when I was talking about doing this. And I thought, I'll try to watch as many sequels as possible, which, of course, it turned out that I watched two of them. <laughs> I watched, I mean, <laughs> the first one and the second. The first two are the best ones anyway. So we can we can focus on those for sure. Okay, good. And then I realized watching the second one, I was like, oh, wait a second. The mythos or the extended universe might not be as consistent as maybe I thought it was because two, as it's fantastic, but there's a couple things I'm like, it seems, are they taking liberties or is it just, and then I thought, oh, wait, I remember people told me that don't bother with this one, this one, and this one. There's so many inconsistencies, even in the first one. Like, I remember the first time I watched it, I'm like, well, why is, like, I think his name's Larry. Why is Larry American, but his brother's British? But then, you know, it's, it's some things don't make sense. And um, they've overdubbed um, a lot of the dialogue, which is super normal um, mm. in movies. There's, like, usually some level of ADR, but it makes me wonder, like, oh, did they, like, add in... American accents were those like right. like the movers like those lines were all dubbed so I'm oh, like oh were they like okay. originally British and then they changed them to be American and then um the the guy who's like hitting on Christy he says something like oh we're not all bad like implying that he's British as well <laughs> but he doesn't have a British accent I was wondering like, about that too I, I thought wait what there's something going on here and earlier, when I was in my scramble to try to find my webcam, that just went through my head. I said, wait a second. They came back to the family home, but it's his family home. He's American, yet he lived here? I don't know. Like, is this? And also, Frank has clearly been leaving the place go, letting the place go a bit. His non-reaction to the... I, look, I know you have a, a stronger stomach than I. I immediately went, oh, four, and then put my hand up, and I went... Yeah, Charlotte loves this movie. Uh, when uh, <laughs> in the kitchen, which I didn't even know what room it was, uh, I don't even know. Can you tell? Describe what was in the bowl. I just saw maggots, and I went, "That's it. I'm out." Oh yeah, it was a bunch of maggots and stuff. Um, yeah, he was just not taking care of the the place. It was a pigsty <laughs> for sure. Um, that whole universe is so fascinating. Like I subscribe to the belief that. Um, Hellraiser also exists like in the same universe as Event Horizon. If you've seen oh. that movie, they're super similar. I haven't, but now I want to because all of your film recommendations are always in line with my tastes. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I noticed something recently when I went to the horror marathon at New Beverly. I have a sort of gap between sometime between 95 and 97 up till 2000 something. It'd be funny if you're like, well, Event Horizon came out in 91, but uh, there's a lot of 90s and 2000 horror movies that I missed somehow. It's kind of the same thing. Like people find a mysterious object that yeah. opens a mysterious portal 
and yeah. a bunch of demonic things happen. Um, and it's got Sam Neill in it. Um, it's super cool. I think you'd like it. It's like, it's super entertaining. I just love any kind of like science fiction horror. Like I love like the alien franchise, um, just to kind of ground stuff in reality. Amazingly, in addition to seeing the first Hellraiser for the first time in the last two years, I saw the first alien for the first time. Oh, really? Yeah. I had seen part of it, but at a party, like someone thought it was a great idea to be like, Hey, this is a great movie. We should all sit around. That's my least favorite way to see a movie. So I, I was dipping in and out because I was like, this looks like it's incredible. The reason I never watched it is because as a kid, I, well, I saw the ad. I still remember seeing the TV ad during Sha Na Na. But then I saw a clip of either the chest burster. No, it wasn't the chest burster. It was just the alien itself. And I was like, <sighs> I, so uh, I was okay when I watched the movie, but just like I didn't see the thing until three years ago. Oh, the thing's amazing. Now, you're really an aficionado uh, and, again, have a stronger stomach than I. Is that an, in the top 10 of sort of grossest and most brilliant practical effects horror films for you? Oh, definitely. I am just a big lover of anything practical. Um, like, I love, like, Cronenberg movies. Like, mm. practical effects are why, like, The Lord of the Rings has aged so well and The Hobbit looks like dog shit. <laughs> Like, it's just, you know, it, it really, like, doesn't hurt to, like, spend, you know, that extra time on um, art department stuff, on makeup, all that sort of thing. People think, oh, like, we'll just CGI it. But it's the, the technology advances so much that things just start looking bad. Um, and then you can tell at the end of the first Hellraiser, they ran out of money because like the, the movie just starts looking like worse and worse. And then the dragon at the end, you're like, what the fuck is that? The budget was remarkably low. It was under a million. I didn't know that Clive Barker was a hustler when he was younger, which adds a lot of interesting stuff. I was immediately more interested oh, yeah. in Clive Barker. <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell me uh, more about your initial or initiation, let's say, because I think initiation is more appropriate of a word given the subject matter. And of course, folks, we're talking about Hellraiser, if you didn't guess already. But when did you first uh, get into Clive Barker? Mm, I don't know, maybe like late teens or early 20s. Um, through the movie um, Hellraiser first, and then... Um, I've heard of that. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I bought the, the book. Um, it's based on which is super cool. It's a short read. Mm -hmm. um, and for like any movies that I like, I always try to read like the accompanying literature. Like I love The Shining. So like mm. I read the book and um, just kind of helps you see like the full context of what you're watching and kind of have an appreciation for liberties like directors have taken, like making these things. Um, but I didn't really know all this other stuff about Clive Barker until later. It wasn't until I was like living in the Bay area, um, working for kink, like realized, like kind of being in that environment where mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, like Clive Barker is like very like respected here. And like, I was hearing all these stories like, Oh yeah. He's like super into BDSM and, 
um, is such like a queer icon and like was a sex worker. It's like, wow, it's so, so cool. And um, just really makes you like appreciate and respect his work so much more. Back to the budget on this, it was 900 grand because he was dissatisfied with previous adaptations of his stuff. And what delayed me seeing this for a long time was at a horror marathon at New Beverly during their fourth slot, which is also I call the endurance slot. Because <laughs> <laughs> if like if you make it through the fourth, you're going to be rewarded on the fifth. Like at the Schwarzenegger one, mm -hmm. it was Red Sonia was four and then Terminator was five. So if you made oh, it, yeah. right? And that's like, you're like, I've I, it's like winning a prize. Rawhead Rex was number four at one of them. And I thought, I, this is, this is God awful. And I don't know where that falls in the canon. Cause unfortunately I didn't get as much time to research, uh, this one. So you first heard about Clive in, uh, San Francisco and you first saw Hellraiser around when? Um, probably late teens. Um, it was one of those things I think where I saw it on television and probably saw like bits and pieces of it, like with commercials or something, or like at a friend's house where like, you're not really paying attention. I remember like first seeing it in that sort of environment where yeah, I wasn't like fully like paying attention to it. Um, and then I remember like the first time I watched it in its entirety, um, when I was like living in my studio apartment, by myself and um i didn't have a tv but i had like my laptop and like a mm. projector yeah so i had it like on there and then my cat's like jumping in front of the projection <laughs> thing so there's like cat shadows on it um but i t i totally loved it and uh i love like the lore behind it like um the part where he says Jesus wept. That was just improv. You're kidding me. Yeah. Wow. And um it's also really cool. Like I, I love um that character, Larry, I believe his name is. Um I can't remember the actor who plays him, but uh I think it was one of, if not his first roles. And um you can see like he kind of starts off like as a nervous actor mm -hmm. towards the beginning of the movie yeah. and then at the like towards the end like you see him like gaining his confidence um because if i'm not mistaken i believe they shot like a lot of it chronologically um mm. but then like at the end he's just fucking like i'm gonna go for it jesus wept and you're like oh shit that's so awesome like how did he come up with that yeah, and that's so wild that it was improvised because it's so in line with the rest of the movie you know it's so mm -hmm. uh and amazing amazing too that you would improvise that while you're hoisted up on some contraption that probably wasn't uh very expensive yeah and i <laughs> i can't remember what the original line was meant to be i think it was mm -hmm. some curse word like he's supposed to say like motherfucker or something like that where yeah. it was just expressing like pain and frustration and anger and he the actor's just like no i'm not doing that <laughs> i'm gonna i'm just gonna quote like the shortest bible verse <laughs> <laughs> with the sexual aspects of hellraiser when you saw it i know it was a social setting but were you already sort of seeing that stuff 
in horror films? Because I know you've been a horror film for since uh, time in memoriam and also very horny since about that time, too. Yeah, pretty much. I think I like subconsciously knew it was a horny movie. Um, And then when I would like invite girls like to my apartment or whatever, and it would be kind of a situation where I'm like, is this a date or is this not a date? Are we just like watching a movie as friends? Like, oh, and they were gal pals thing or um, it, because I, I find like women aren't always like super great at communicating that stuff. People aren't in, ge- in general. People kind yeah. of leave you guessing. But um a lot of people haven't seen Hellraiser, so I would kind of do the Hellraiser test, or I'd put on the first movie, and if we started having sex in the middle, I'd be like, okay, you know, so this like this was a date. And if we finished the first movie and I still wasn't sure, I'd put the second one on. And I haven't like got through the second one without like confirming like, like, oh yeah, okay, this is why she came over. Um, but then I don't know if it's because like it, these movies are so intrinsically horny or um, or I don't know. Um, but they have an effect on people is what I'm trying to say. Well, yeah, and I'm just thinking about where in each movie uh, the uh, answer would arise because someone might be into you but then be like sort of put off by the movie. So I think also you you were having a uh, an accurate picker in aesthetic mm-hmm. uh, combination with the horniness. And I have a feeling mm-hmm. that the ratio of uh, sex during Hellraiser was a lot higher than the, or uh, the ratio of wins to, not fails, but let's say non-wins. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> everybody wins and then some people don't. Um, was uh, a lot higher because of your picker. Would that be accurate? Yeah, I think so. And um, I feel like the Hellraiser films, they're also ones where you're not really missing out on a lot if you're not 100% paying attention to everything that happens. Um, like, like I don't hold them like sacredly, if that makes sense. Like, like if if I was like watching it, with like a friend or whoever and somebody started talking to me i wouldn't be offended like how dare you interrupt my movie (laughs) but if somebody did that while i was like trying to watch alien i'd be like shh like i I have to see like i have to make sure jonesy gets out even though i've seen it a million times i have to (laughs) see him get into the carrier yeah i show my cat see this is why you need to let me put you in the carrier I could take you off the spaceship. Yeah, and and uh, cats love the film. It's a big one, and they have a good role in it. Yeah, uh, there's certain films I have like that too. There's ones that I'm like, okay, I've seen that. I can go watch it at a movie night. Uh, other than that, I especially like to live and die in L.A. or Manhunter. I'm just like, because mm-hmm. I also don't want them to rob themselves of the experience of the surprises or the subtleties of it, but. Yeah, you're right. Hellraiser could be a movie that you're just sort of digging the uh, bizarreness of Pinhead, which as soon as I remember seeing Pinhead, I thought, my God, what an amazing, horrifying image. All the Cenobites are just designed so well. Um, 
They're so fun. In Boulder City, um, there's Tom Devlin's Monster Museum. And I don't know if it's set up that way right now, but um, last time I went, he had like a whole room set up. And I think I have a picture somewhere on my Instagram, but it's it's got like the four Cenobites and it's so cool. Just like little chains everywhere. It's it's like it's very like BDSM. It's very um ingenuitive. I, I like the new one too, where that dude had the fucking thing in his body. I don't know how to describe it, but it was like he was a hedonist and he was after um, you know, pleasure and exploring the boundaries of sensation and then he doesn't realize oh to the cenobites like pain is also pleasure um so when i was like asking for that they put they put this fucked up like contraction contraption in him that's like making him always like contorted and it's like strings and i don't know it's cool i I like what they did with that one thought it was really interesting i like how uh, even in the second one, what happens to their bodies, mm-hmm. the body modification changes. It's not the same thing every time. Yeah, There are the hooks and the chains. And I love how all Pinhead has to do is look over and the chains come out of seemingly nowhere. Yeah. And, and that whole uh, trope, I guess, is fantastic too. Like once you see the lights coming in through the door and all that stuff you the sense mm-hmm. of dread or the sense of excitement whichever happens to be flooding through your system at the time and, and, which reminds me to, uh, to ask at what point typically in the first film when you they were more of a solid win would you be having sex like after what minute mark or scene i don't know to be honest I'm not really like keeping track of that because if I'm watching a movie with somebody that I like and I'm like not sure if it's like mutual or not, Mm. I can't really think about the movie. Like I'm watching it and the pictures (laughs) are changing in front of my face, but all my mind can think of is like, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. And am I making a stupid face right now? And like, did I put on enough deodorant today? Um, You know, all those things. But then, you know, I'm, I'm sure other people may be thinking the same thing, but um, I think like past the halfway mark, because I think it also starts off a bit slow. Like mm. you're not really sure what kind of movie you're getting into as you're watching it until shit like really starts to unfold. Um, I remember like seeing the, the first scene where um, not the first scene, but that, a scene where uh frank and what's her face julia they're hooking up and he's got the knife i'm like oh my god is he gonna cut her and then he like just cuts her dress off i'm like oh that's okay that's still hot that's cool yeah he's scary as fuck but that like that's hot and it made me wonder about knife play uh is knife play you've something you've played around with not like with partners but like solo i've done like needle play um like i've been like play pierced and stuff that's cool um it's tricky because like i always have to make sure like i'm not marked up for like whatever i'm doing like i never know when i have to like record something or be in front of the camera i'm like basically like retired and just like doing only fans because it's like I can't like be bothered to leave my house. I'm going to be honest with you, (laughs) but um, I still like have to make sure 
because they have so many restrictions on like, oh, you can't have like bruises and stuff. Like I've heard of people getting videos removed for that. So I just try to try to make sure it kind of limits the amount of fun. Like I'm also one of those people, if I get choked, I get broken capillaries all over my face Oh wow! and I get those little like blood freckles and it's like, they're a bitch to cover up with makeup. Um, like I've had makeup artists just be like, God damn it. And then they're just like <laughs> getting the brush roller and painting the foundation on my face. So I, so I, I do have to be careful cause I am so fair. Like, and I feel like my skin is pretty thin as well. Uh-huh. Um, I mark up like crazy. Um, so I don't think like I would really be able to do much knife play because like any kind of cuts or scars would be so like immediately visible. Well, right. Yeah. And take a long time to heal and all that stuff. Yeah. I wasn't Mm -hmm. really sure about the parameters of knife play. It's not something that like occurs to me as something, Oh, I want to try that. And then when that scene happened, I thought, Oh, is this kind of like, um, let's say a tame version of knife of knife play. Cause I don't Mm -hmm. know something uh, more extreme in such an extreme film would be, you know, around allowed by the ratings board. Actually, I read something where they did have to cut something out to get an R rating and it, but it was something to do with the spanking scene. And I, I just watched it and I went, wait a second, maybe I've just been overloaded. My neurons yeah. are just flooded with so much stuff that was like, oh, there, this bit's getting ripped out of them. And then this hook. So I thought a spanking scene, huh? Do you remember a spanking scene? No, I don't. I'm sure like I'll probably have to look that up online to see it. Um, but you know, that just goes to show like with the with the motion picture association, yeah. whatever, um violence is so acceptable, but any type of sexuality is like shunned. Like yeah. you can't really have like women like orgasming in movies, but guys can do it and when's the last time you saw a film where like a woman was like somebody was like going down on her but like you see like girls like kneeling in movies like all the time all the Um, time yeah yeah it's just and like i don't like the the message that it sends it it like is it does like a lot of like weird shit to our society. So I like drank a, ch- a chai and I have like bits of chai like stuck in my throat <laughs> from the, the powder. Well, what's good is like when, what you were saying uh, made it almost like you were choking up with emotion. It was just sort of like, yeah. it's just, it's wrong. And I, I can't, I just wish. You get horny and act on it. Like in a horror movie, like you're the first to go. It's like, and it really like if you watch that kind of stuff from like a young age like I remember like watching things and thinking like oh sex was bad like oh yeah like you know of course she got stabbed to death it was because she was having sex with her boyfriend like when they were on vacation like in the woods or whatever and it doesn't make sense now like you would never hope for wish death upon anybody for doing something like that um or even say oh yeah like you know of of course like the crazed serial killer monster or whatever of course he picked that person like it it makes sense if it's like oh this killer is like an incel and he's like jealous and like fucked up but the audience doesn't always see it that way sometimes people internalize that and i think that might be like a subconscious 
goal of a lot of these movies is to get you to feel bad about your sexuality, but to be like very okay with violence, which is kind of, you know, a, a sticky subject. Cause like, as much as I, I love horror, like um, I feel like a lot of media is weaponized to get people to think a certain way, which is why I love Hellraiser. Cause it, it feels like it's like a free movie. Like it's, it wasn't made with that kind of agenda. It's just a low budget British like slasher movie, which is super fucking cool. And um, I feel like Alien is like a very empowering. Um, in fact, I think it's like in this, the second movie um, where um, it's, uh, and it's not even made like a big deal, but it's canon. Um, it shows like just for a second on a computer screen that um, that crew member, she's got the short hair, like beautiful. She gets like impaled by the aliens. Oh, Veronica Cartwright. She's, yeah. Yeah. She's transgender. Um, oh. Yeah. It's it like has um, like a brief clip and it just says like, you know, like male at birth or something like that. Um, where it's it's just like a little line of data like on her file like on the screen and then it's never mentioned again but it's just like you know it's it's really fucking cool that like that franchise is so like pro woman and pro cat and (laughs) (laughs) well the cat Um, lobby went nuts and they thought yeah it's it's, it, it it like shies away and like i think you know like like in the alien franchise, people also get like punished for having sex. But um, the alien is so like um, rapey, like it, it, it kind of like subverts that trope. I don't know. I'm sure somebody's done like a much better like analysis of of the franchise than than I ever could. But well, no, um, I don't think so. I mean, not necessarily. I mean, it might be a more academic one and uh, and also when we do the alien movie club though uh some would say we're already doing one uh, right now <laughs> but uh there's so much more to talk about with it that um i really look forward to doing that actually with you even in films that aren't like in based in reality though most films are operating in their own universe despite looking exactly like real life um there's so much that is said about types of personalities so like larry and frank what are your thoughts about them being brothers? And what do you imagine the, their past life to be? Because uh, with that, uh, uh, think about when Larry is kind of, oh, Frank, he's a little bit of a wild guy. It seems like a bit of an underestimation. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, just to think about, I was actually thinking about this before um, we hopped on because well, mostly I was trying to like think, okay, well, like how could it be that one brother is American and yeah. one's not like Larry's like the kind of dorky American guy. He was, maybe he was like born in the UK, but then was brought up in America or maybe, um, maybe he tried to shed that part of his identity thought like he would be more, um, more likable or more cool if he had an American accent and watched a lot of American films, or maybe he studied abroad in the States and, um, you know, kind of did all the things you're supposed to do. And then Frank was like, I'm just gonna, you know, 
get this weird puzzle box because like I I'm not having enough satisfying sex like like he's tried all the holes and he's like <laughs> <laughs> he's like there's got to be more how there's got to be a different box? hole sorry to yeah. Cut you off. yeah and it's it's interesting um seeing Julia's character the way she's um like you know, oh, like, you know, like I'm, I'm with like the safe guy, but then I'm tempted by like the bad boy, but then, um, and then she'll do anything for him because like they have crazy good sex. Um, so she's like, oh yeah, of course, like I'll kill a bunch of dudes for you. Like, so you can grow your penis back. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's what I really need. I'm going to, I'll, uh, I'll mouth your bloody fingers, which interestingly, on a technical note and uh, uh, an aesthetic note, I love that even though they'll they're able to these the creatures or whatever they are after they're sort of dehumanized, are able to when they want to leave a message in blood smear or a handprint mm -hmm. on the wall, which I feel is symbolic in some way, like in the second one with the handprint, and there's blood on the clothes. But you would think by looking at them, and especially the first time I'm viewing it. Oh, yeah, that they're just dripping blood everywhere. Yeah, that there would be this huge snail trail of blood, but there isn't. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, a brilliant choice and also speaks to the supernatural casing that is still uh, wrapped around them like gauze. So they're in a different place, but there is a truth about people in that. With Julia's uh, duplicitous behavior, and frankly to me, disgraceful behavior to Larry... I can both understand it in one way, but I find it deplorable. Yeah. And it's, it really like, you know, she's the one who gets fucked over big time because it turns out that Frank was just using her. Um, like, and that really, like, really sucks. But also you're kind of like, oh, well, you know, she kind of had it coming because, you know, she wasn't being honest or whatever. Um, but it still sucks. She was trying to follow her heart um, and her horniness, and it just led her astray. Happens to the best of us. Um, <laughs> Don't it, though? Oh, yes, it does. Yeah. But um, it, it's it's really cool, um, like, how different, like, the characters are. Like, they're such, like, a foil for one another. Um, and I love the part where um larry like cuts his hand on the nail which is like the most like gruesome way to like it's not just like he slices it on the nail it like fucking digs chunks out of his skin yeah it might be <laughs> it might be one hand, of the like, most vile moments sorry to cut you off right but it's it is so vile and, and you know it's coming because yeah no, no pun intended because it's this metaphor for climax orgasm the, and it's it, once you see it and they cut back and forth you go oh oh she's gonna come and then mm -hmm. cut and it works on a level uh many levels of metaphor because it's the coming and it's also like well your fate sealed now isn't it you're gonna have a lot of pain yeah and it's um you know it's it's interesting like watching that the way she kind of reacts to him being so squeamish about blood and she's kind of had to got to take care of him. And then, um, he's, 
you know, trying to make himself sound not so cowardly at dinner. Um, so she, and she's probably like, oh, you know, like I'm like mothering this guy. She probably, it, it was probably like when Frank shows up, like right after that, she's like, oh, now here's like a man. He's not afraid of a little bloodshed because he's covered in it. He doesn't have any skin. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. And so it, it, it probably like was like the perfect timing for her to, to see, you know, what she could have. And it does seem that there is, or they're at some kind of impasse in mm-hmm. this marriage, which never really should have happened because I think Frank first fucks her on either on or right before her wedding day. And that shows a betrayal of the brother, which to me implies a backstory. And I love implied backstory, us Mm -hmm. uh, projecting things, but not just projecting things, but filling in the blanks because it allows us to have a more fulfilling experience than the backstories that are right. That are grafted onto remakes. I really, I'm, I'm not like a big fan of getting too much information, especially like when it's a villain or a monster character. Yeah. Like, um, like where Hellraiser, like the series kind of like loses me is when they start, I think in the third one, they're like, oh, you know, there's the good part of Pinhead and, um, you know, this is like where he comes from and this is like his origin and, and all that. Um, and I think they, they go more like into his origin in the second, which is still like, just kind of like a cool origin story, but I, I don't need to know all this shit. Like, I don't need to know that like Darth Vader was like super whiny and he doesn't like sand. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, the, like those the fucking star Wars prequels are such memes now because like they broke like, the unwritten rule like you're not supposed to tell too much about the villain is what makes them so cool is why are they bad i don't know they don't have like a motivation they just like want to be bad and you know what a lot of people want to be bad there's a lot of evil in the world and mm-hmm. that that's why it's a terrible film but i love the title of that bronson picture the evil that men do because granted w- women can be diabolical as well but you know, traditionally the ratio is pretty much uh, leaning mm-hmm. over towards men. And I don't know, maybe that's because they're more allowed to or they're, they have the more access to it or they're just bas- basically uh, tacitly encouraged or allowed to or get away with it, which is, I think, kind of what American Psycho to a degree is really about in addition to capitalism. Mm-hmm. It's um, a great one too. It's so good. Uh, we'll put this on the other, uh, the list of our other many movie clubs. Oh yeah, because I've read that book as well. And it, it's also one of those where it's it's much... Oh. more gruesome in the book than oh. the movie <laughs> there is a scene in the book that i i was so i'm reading it at like four in the morning at my parents house in the basement a finished basement not like a frank type mm-hmm. basement but uh, <laughs> uh, but a basement and then i would go out through the bulkhead not the bulkhead it was like a there was a set of stone steps up to the uh backyard and i would smoke and or you could stand in the little area uh, in the concrete area, also very romantic and, you know, helps you think healthy thoughts at four in the morning. I threw the book down and I got, I went, oh, oh my God, which when you say that and you're by yourself, that means that it had an impact. Mm-hmm. And you know the scene probably. It's when he's cooking. I don't want to get too into it. Yeah. But yeah. It, 
it it goes on in the book. That's why the book's like twelve thousand pages. Those scenes, yeah, spirit- it just doesn't stop. It's like it's like a Tolkien esque yeah. thing. It's like you're just gonna keep going. One of the many genius aspects of Mary Heron's adaptation is that she captures all of that stuff without getting into those very specific gruesome aspects or grotesqueries Mm -hmm. because i think those would even for the strongest of stomach type folks would completely throw people out of the mental space that you kind of have to be in to uh, go along with the tone of it you can have willem dafoe come in and sort of almost tease the information that we're living with as following bateman but that would be far too much it has to be implied yeah that's true but then because the way things are so subtly implied i think american psycho um also like suffers from kind of the same thing that taxi driver does where people misunderstand it and they think like oh these these characters are like cool like travis pickles doing push-ups and he's got a mohawk that's cool like (laughs) um fucking like christian bale like he's got like a whitney houston cassette like that's cool and it's like like yeah that is cool but it's like you're missing like the the parts where he's like cutting off like you know body parts and and things um then the the making of that movie is so cool like um i love the scene where willem dafoe is um interrogating him uh-huh. and each line is like delivered like he believes him doesn't believe him and he's unsure so it really leaves the audience guessing and um i also like the the way like because i think this is like one of like christian bale's like earlier roles um yes i love in the business card scene he like takes a breath and holds his breath before saying like let's see paul allen's card Mm. and like because he's like running out of oxygen it makes him sound so like pained um but it's just like really really cool um the way he like chose to do that i thought that was that was neat it's it's just so fun like different like ways you can like deliver like the same line like you get like the same script but you can change like the intonation of like the stress on like this syllable in a word instead of that one. And it, it can change like the entire scene. So, um, I love all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I forgot what I was saying. Oh, no, that's okay. That's the nature of, uh, that's why uh, I enjoy our discussion so much. And also this type of movie club, because a lot of times there's the beat by beat, um, restatement of what happens, which I don't think is necessary if someone's watched the film and then if someone hasn't watched the film when i've heard discursive conversations like on video archives i'm just interested and they will you know we say beats but uh, to a degree like we're talking about frank and uh larry and i and back to that because it's a never-ending source of fascination to me this guy has grown up larry i mean knowing who his brother is and the more we talked about it i thought this is a guy who is an archetype of men who are, let's say, the put-upon guy, uh, more a more extreme or, or less comedic version of the Kevin James, King of the Hill, not King mm-hmm. of the Hill, whatever that fucking show was. I can't stand those sitcoms. 
<laughs> you know, with the harpy wife and the dumb, dumb guy who's usually overweight. I cannot stand any of that stuff. Oh, yeah. And yeah. even in King of the Hill, they do that with, um, uh, I think it's Dale Gribble's uh-huh. wife. Um, and it's like so obvious to everybody else that the wife's like running around on him. Like even his kid looks nothing like him, but he just like is in such denial <laughs> about it. And um, yeah. In 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 the in Hellraiser, like Larry's like kind of that guy. And it's like really like you don't think it's weird your wife is like gone all the time. <laughs> like what do you think she's doing? She's gone all the time, and then later she won't leave the house. And what does he do? Does he f- try to figure out what it is or initiate separation uh, proceedings? There's something again that speaks to some kind of impasse in the relationship because they've moved back to the UK. Mm-hmm. She's British. So it seems like some kind of sop to her. She, she, the woman but then is it's, never... It's like, isn't it like his family house or something? So it's like, how is it your his family's house if he's like not even really British? Anyway, but yeah, they, they, they probably moved back because they're like, oh, you know, we just need to get her away from all these guys at work, you know? Um, the environment's the problem. Let's let's move, you know, let's really like try to make it work. Let's start over. It, it yeah. feels like that kind of thing. It definitely feels like that. And it also feels like that thing where people don't want to realize that wherever you go, wherever you fly, wherever you move, your luggage is still with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you are. <laughs> right. And the only time that we see Julia be romantic in any way is when she's trying to distract larry from going and discovering frank in that room Mm -hmm. although she does try to protect him um when amazingly his brother is more than excited to rip him to pieces this is just that it i think confirms that frank is completely amoral absolutely and I feel like the only issue like I have with Hellraiser is like it kind of, well, I mean, I have like some issues with like the quality of certain things, but um, the the whole idea of like, oh, the lament configuration is just for like horny perverts, like, like configuration. I'm sorry. I missed them. I missed. Oh, that like, you know, the lament configuration is just for like horny perverts and like, you know, they're punished by being so hedonistic, but really it's like, it looks like that at the surface level, but you go beyond, it's like, oh, it's not just like, you know, people who are like looking for DVDs in the back of the sex shop are like being punished. It's like the guy who's like willing to like kill his own brother is being punished like by the Cenobites. So it's like, it's one of those cases where the the punishment is justified um, it's not always the case in, in these kind of movies. Yeah. And, and the surprising elements are Kirsty having the box and understandably getting it away from Frank because she doesn't know why, but she has a gut instinct that mm-hmm. there's, this is, he needs this. I'm going to take it away from him because whatever this thing is, yeah. it's giving him power. Yeah. She was probably also getting like creepy uncle vibes from him. Oh my God, come to daddy? 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and that implies that maybe he's done something to her before. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's these things that are implied that are almost as horrifying as what we see the Cenobites do, who also the Cenobites, when they realize, as in the second film, uh, Tiffany mm-hmm. was just being used as an instrument uh, who basically had her whole life destroyed by that awful doctor. The Cenobites do not want to mete out that kind of eternal damnation and torture to essentially innocence. Yeah. And and, and uh, Pinhead is the voice of reason. Like, Mr. Teeth, he's not going to say anything. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that noise is so disturbing, too. <laughs> it really is. Uh, but he says, no, wait. And I like how the other... His, I'd like to say his, like, uh, his colonel or or whatever his his like his sidekick, mm-hmm. the the one with the things coming out of the neck, also full white face, uh, makeup. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I don't know their names. They all have names, I'm sure, though, right? Yeah, I, I remember. Um, yeah, I'm I'm so bad. I should like remember remember these i i know the teeth dude is chatterer i think pinhead is of course pinhead um i, I can't remember who the, the female cenobite is and so i'll look this up and so for hellraiser fans who wanted a um like a dead accurate thing but i don't even want to make that uh apology because i listened to an episode of a show recently that was ostensibly about the exorcist but i i kind of skipped the intro because I'm like, yeah, they're going to talk about, so the film is about a girl who, uh, you know, I've, I know, we know. So mm-hmm. I skipped ahead and they're talking about the casting and and I just woken up and uh, I'm peeing, which is, I don't know. I don't know if this is the case for you. If I'm not listening to something, I get a lot of good thoughts during this time. It's private time. You're occupied. The other part of your brain can do something. And I'm listening to it and I'm going, okay. So they talked about, I heard Blair. I hear um, Jason Miller's name. And then I keep hearing about Bernstein, Bernstein. Minutes later, I go, oh, oh my God, he's talking about Ellen Burstyn. So, you know, oh. yeah, like there's levels here and, and we're way past that kind of level. So I'm not going to apologize anymore. I do like the horror fans get so persnickety that um, we'd like to say thank you for enjoying the inaccuracies and yelling at this screen or phone or whatever you're listening to it on. I think you can enjoy stuff without being an expert in it or remembering every person's name and detail and that sort of thing. And I feel like women also get persecuted for that more. Like, you know, that that whole trope about, like, you go outside, like, wearing, like, I don't know, like a Guns N' Roses t-shirt. Like, oh, you really like Guns N' Roses? Name, name five songs or whatever. Or, um, like playing a video game like oh, are you really a gamer but like have you ever had sex with Hideo Kojima no <laughs> and it's like okay bro you have like calm down yeah um, uh but but it's like especially like as a woman it's like it's so much harder to be a casual enjoyer of something and you can very much enjoy something but also like enjoy it casually um and like it's like not excusable unless like you're a super fan and like you've got a PhD in the subject, but like for dudes, you can kind of just like, Oh yeah, I like, I like that movie. I like that video game. I like it's that sort of thing. Cool. Yeah. But, but you're not like grilled about it. So, I, so I don't know. I really, 
I didn't feel like going to like, you know, have my fucking spark notes of like, oh, I got to make sure I don't get this detail right. I don't care. No, and same here. And a lot of times I end up remembering stuff and I've dealt with a lot of people, surprisingly guys, shocker, who um, I think there's two aspects to it. Because I have such a, um, not natural ease with the names, but because it's just something that stuff I absorb certain things, other things I don't remember. But um, I also just like to talk to people about movies because I think it's interesting, even whatever their thoughts are about it. Or uh, I was telling someone who said, oh, you know, like all the names to the thing. And I feel like I don't have the same level of movie knowledge. I said, no, 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 it doesn't matter. I just happen to. Yeah. You know, and, and like that doesn't mean you don't enjoy the movie as much as I do or more to the point, don't understand it or don't have the qualifications required to watch the movie or feel a whale, a whale, a whale feel a whale, feel a, a way about it. Because a movie is a movie. You're supposed to just sit and watch it and you either and sometimes you don't understand a movie. Sometimes I don't, but I'm it's I, I there's something that's I'm getting washed over by that I feel like I'm feeling something. And I don't know, I think life is too short to be pedantic about anything. I do not like that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you, you hit the nail right on the head. Like, like I consider myself, like, I, I like horror movies. I don't watch every single thing that comes out. I like industrial music. Like, I could care less about Nine Inch Nails. Like, you know, they're, they're, I have, like, a lot of opinions that people would think, oh, you know, you're not a real fan of this or this or whatever um i don't care and i think there's there's power in that you know what there's a lot of power in that but and, and it's also like this it's this isn't like what the movie club was about it's not about you know you could have very well been like i'm gonna s scour the ends of the earth and find the expert in this particular franchise or this particular film and we're gonna talk about it but that's also not like quite as fun as just yeah. a couple of friends who both like like something about the same amount <laughs> yeah exactly that, it, it, and you hit the nail on the head with that it's uh friends who i vibe with who i know for instance i know i knew you loved hellraiser so we were talking about two different movies and i was like oh wait no no, no. this is a great way for me to actually see hellraiser and also i know that charlotte loves it and will have such fascinating insights on it because she loves it that's the main thing. And and again, clearly, uh, this movie has left a great uh, impression on you. And I, I imagine you think of it not every day, but quite a bit. Yeah. And, you know, I, I I don't think I've watched like any like horror movies like coming up for Halloween. I'm like the worst like gothic person because Halloween's just something like I don't often like celebrate or put a lot of effort into. Like some people are like... October 1st, I'm watching Horror Mover every day. Um, I saw like the Talking Heads concert movie um in theaters the other day. Like that was that was awesome. That was my my like movie outing. Um, but I haven't um I do love Hellraiser a lot. If I'm gonna watch any like horror movies, like to get into the kind of um, you know, spirit of the season, um, that's probably gonna be one I'll watch, but um like, like I think of it more than I watch it, <laughs> for sure. Listen, if even one kid, if even one kid is helped to see that movie, then it's all <laughs> been worth it. Um, 
Yeah, I like to think about films uh, long after I've seen them. Again, Taxi Driver, I saw that two years ago in the theater, which was amazing because it was an original 70s print and all that stuff. And it looked beautiful. Amazing. I, I saw a 35 millimeter screening of it um, at the Egyptian Theater, I believe, in LA. Oh, yeah. And um, they had, it was like one of those like midnight movie club things. And um, they had the dude who played Doughboy, I think, one of the taxi drivers. Peter Boyle. He, yeah, he came and he read some of his poetry. It was like really fucking cool. I love that. When, listen, when you're next in LA, which I hope is soon, um, we'll have to go to the New Beverly to see something because that's like yes, my absolutely. That's like my happy place, especially if I'm, you know, going through a bad time or when I went through that breakup from that very long relationship. I was there like every other day. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was great, and I, I still every time I walk in, it's immediately I feel better. Uh, I can't wait to do the thing of waiting an hour for the movie. I get it in when doors open. There's a, a whole ceremony to it. I have got to do what you did and go see Stop Making Sense in the theaters because that has been... Oh, before it runs out. Oh, my gosh. I, I took somebody who knew of Talking Heads but didn't really like understand the hype or the lore. And I was like, just wait. Like your mind is going to be blown. And it was like such a cool experience to see somebody like, you know, like discovering and appreciating um, those. Yeah. Um, I was like so hyped. Like I remember seeing like the first advertisement, like David Byrne, like picking up like his big ass suit from the dry cleaners. I was like counting down like the days and months until <laughs> it hit theaters finally. Um but yeah, such an awesome one. At the Beverly, um, I was looking, because there's one in Vegas too, um, that's like, has a bunch of really good stuff playing for October. Like there's like a video drum playing oh, I love that. Um, later this month. I, I feel like it, for movies that I do watch a lot, I feel like I'm I'm like, I watch a lot. Uh, yes, <laughs> I do like watch my, my Cronenberg movies a lot. Although my favorite is Dead Ringers. Um, if I, if I could pick one Cronenberg movie to do, um, a movie club on like Sold. that one for sure. Done. Yeah. I've got my dead ringers tattoo. Oh my <laughs> God. And the instrument. Yeah. Oh, oh, Charlotte, that is one of the coolest tattoos I've ever, ever Thank seen. You. <laughs> You're welcome. And I know this might be a gendered or whatever, especially on a woman, because it, that movie is, I don't even know how to describe how intense it is for oh, it's so horrifying um yeah. like when he's like using like all those instruments on that poor woman um and he's like oh it's not supposed to hurt and you're like oh god and then he's like accusing her of like having sex with like a dog <laughs> like oh i had a patient once who did this and then it turns out she was having sex with her golden retriever the way he like looks at her jesus is so fucking funny to me but, yeah um, and also the dark humor and it's so so good and uh that reminds me someone was talking about it james woods being a piece of shit and i said yes it's but it's like the last action hero you're watching max wren or i'm watching max wren i'm not watching james woods because i'm not gonna yeah. not fucking watch that movie or any of his movies because he's a scumbag it doesn't matter there, that's an image on the screen uh but um yes signed sealed delivered 
uh, I'm yours. We're doing the Dead Ringers movie. Oh, so yes, awesome. And I think I think I also like really vibe with that movie a lot because I'm a twin. I don't know if I've if I've told you that before. No, I don't um, think so. Well, I'm I'm a fraternal twin, so it's like not not you're, quite. Oh, you were as... big in the the, the 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 frats. I didn't know. I just... yeah, it's <laughs> it's not quite as gruesome, um, but it's it's always funny and people are like, oh, are you guys identical? I'm like, he's a dude. Like, <laughs> how do you think that works? No. Um, but uh, yeah, I totally love that movie. It's a good date movie too. Um, it's also like very horny. A, a lot of Cronenberg movies are super horny. Did you see um, the, that, that Crimes of the Future, that recent one? I can't believe I haven't. I need to see that movie. What was your thoughts on? It? I need to see that map of the stars too. I, I loved all of the, the changeover films or whatever you want to call them. The exceptional, wildly violent ones with um, Viggo Mortensen. I oh loved, yeah, those are oh, great. They're so good, and also that he just made this complete shift. And you'd think someone could just walk into this movie not knowing anything about the guy and be like, this director is incredible and have no idea that he, he's made other films that would be make their skin crawl or make them. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's not a lot of Cronenberg movies that aren't like good date movies. I guess it depends on who your date is. Um, but it, that's but, a good test as well. Yeah. Right? Do, like, do they pass the Cronenberg test? <laughs> do, they, now, do they pass? Do they pass the Clive Barker test? Like <laughs> Amusingly, uh, Ada, when we first met, and of course we met online, she said that she doesn't like horror films. And I thought, okay, well, that's fair. You know, they, they do scare people in a certain way and it's not for everyone. But then I, at, initially I thought, oh, does she not like anything with violence? Okay, so wait, I'm trying to calibrate like, well, what, you know, like, what, what do you, huh? Because, you know, to me, like, Violence is essential. No, but you know, like I, I want everything to be what it is. I, I, if it's a story about a violent situation, Goodfellas, it, it's it necessitates a certain depiction of violence. Or in Casino, to the point where I actually had to avert my eyes. That's mm -hmm. for me. Um, when I, and so I took her to see Thief. After I realized, this is how I realized. I thought she didn't like anything with bloodshed. And then we were talking about Tarantino. I said, Oh, they're playing Kill Bill at New Beverly. And she goes. Oh, that's one of my favorites. I said, excuse me? And I, and, or I was like, pardon me, lady? And uh, she said, oh, the House of Blue Leaves sequence. And I said, you don't like horror films, and you just told me that you like the bloodiest scene I have ever seen in a film. So that's <laughs> when the dam broke. And I went, oh, oh, okay. Then I took her to see Thief, and she said, she always says the best things at the end of a movie. Uh, she said, uh, I don't want to spoil anything from To Live and Die in L.A., so I can't say that. But at the end of Thief, she goes, that was one of the most beautiful death slash murder scenes I've ever seen. And I was like, ah, baby. You know? <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Isn't it? Yeah. Do you think Crash would be a good date movie? Yeah, I, I first saw that movie with an ex who I was hanging out with. And then... I, I remember like, sorry, I've got like dust in my room flying around. Um, That's okay. It's like the scene. It's like in that dream sequence where there's yeah, a, yeah. It's all, my room is just ethereal. It's not because I was like moving boxes around and there's dust everywhere. Yeah. That's what they but, said like, in the movie too. He, okay. <laughs> I figured out he was trying to get me horned up because I was like, there's no way like you'd be like hanging out like on like a platonic hangout with like, um, an ex 
And of all the movies you could put on, we're like, hey, let's watch Crash. Like, it just doesn't happen. And I was like, so like uncomfortably like horny, like when he was like driving me home. But it's like, I'm like, oh, that was the goal. Yes. That was the goal. So, So it is a good date movie for sure. Well, listen, uh, there's few hornier scenes. I mean, I might have uh, rewound it and masturbated to it. When Deborah Cara Unger is having sex with James Spader and she's outlining the fantasy of him having sex with another man while she watches, that's one of the oh, hottest yeah. scenes ever. And she is so hot. Like, it, yeah, she's beautiful. Isn't she? And she just radiates something from her face that... I, I think I almost saw the Hurricane movie because I was like, what else is she in? What else is she in? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, and, and Hellraiser's horniness is interesting because people had told me so much, very queer, very queer. When I watched it, I actually thought, is my read on this totally different? Now I see the BDSM stuff and I wonder if it's just that I'm so inured, not necessarily jaded to the BDSM crossover, to horror tropes or... Um, outfits or things that are like for instance rob halford from judas priest i've always mm-hmm. clocked that stuff as like that's snm stuff that these straight homophobic dudes have no idea that they're worshiping as a part of a certain type of male sexuality which could be female sexuality uh, depending but typically the leather and studs and all that is in the in the male domain then i read a couple things about it and it was one of those things where I was like, well, I'm not just absorbing what these people say. And I thought, oh, I just have a different read on it, really. I, it is in there, and it's super horny. But I would love to know your thoughts on the aspects of it that um, would either struck you as queer, that you feel make it queer, and uh, your general thoughts about the queerness of the film. I think it's it's queer in that I mean, it's obviously got like heterosexual stuff, but that's like, I think the people watching it, like queers, identify it with so much because like, like I feel like dudes see like Frank and they're like, oh fuck, that dude's hot. Like I saw Julia and I'm like, fuck, she's hot. Like I was like, Frank, like, yeah, he's a good looking dude, but like, was really into Julia and like her like crazy like 80s makeup and like how she's like just like going through all these dudes just kind of like as yeah. a means to an end and um like really respected like Christie's like power like it's 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 queer and like kind of like a non-sexual way like like the sexual stuff isn't like the queer parts of it the bdsm like there's like a lot of overlap with that like in the real life queer community but that's yeah. not why like the movie's queer if that makes sense um it's kind of like i don't know my one of my friends said predator is like a transcoded movie like no i'm not elaborating on that it's like one of those things like if you see it and like that's what you get out of it but like it's so hard to explain <laughs> Yeah, no, that's exactly how I feel because I was thinking about my read on initial viewing, which I also think is interesting because initial viewing, as someone who loves to see the subtexts, who loves to inf- uh, in- the inferences, uh, the the not sub su- yeah the subtextual moments and everything, uh, I love that I had 
even though that was implanted in my mind, this is a queer horror film. I didn't think about it during it saying, this isn't queer. I just afterwards thought, oh, I should look up a couple essays just to see what people thought about it. And to me, some things were uh, a step too far that something represented Frank coming out of the closet. And, and that's mm -hmm. that person's feeling on it. So I'm not invalidating it. But I thought, no, that's him wanting to escape the Cenobites or whatever it might be. And also showing this uh, reluctance to have gone where he's gone. Mm -hmm. and, and I also feel that one aspect that I did read about was the um, unsatisfiable black hole of pursuing the ultimate in anything, whatever it is, in sensation. And also what I don't understand really are the promises of all the pleasures along with the pain. However, I understand that that is one aspect of BDSM, but there's also like the spanking. There's also the daddy and good boy or daddy and good girl or mommy and good mm -hmm. boy, et cetera. So, which I, you know, I think of as on the gentler side uh, of uh, BDSM. Right, right. But at, but at the time it was like, oh, this is, this is what you would call naughty. <laughs> yeah, no, and that makes that that makes a lot of sense, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to ask you because it, not just because you've seen it many times, but as a fellow queer person who's also, I think this is a fair statement. Let me know if this isn't one of the more extreme adventurers in BDSM. Okay, so I'm kind of like just opening up my own lament configuration. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> But yeah, that, that's kind of like the the approach I've I've taken to things. Whereas like a lot of the more experimental stuff I've done was not necessarily in pursuit of sexual pleasure. More like, I wonder what this would be like, or can the human body survive this <laughs> type of thing. Um, and I think that's like that's one reason I like relate to Hellraiser. Like I could see, like, you know the appeal of the lament configuration and um, i could see why like the cenobites would be so enticing they're promising like all these like otherworldly pleasures and pain like you've never felt and be like oh well, yeah like, i felt a lot of pains so like give me some new ones right and in a way if i saw in the film a depiction of pleasure that wasn't just described as pleasure inextricably linked or you know meshed in with this pain we we see the pain but frank who wants everything does not want to be with the cenobites anymore and we're talking about the most mm -hmm. immoral character i think i've seen in a film if not recently than ever uh happy to kill his brother has been trying to kill his brother uh, has been put off from it by this essentially barbaric woman at, at a certain point what was i saying frank's hedonistic but see even that i have i have issues with the descriptions sometimes of things uh, I, i'm not i'm not pedantic but semantics and i like a good rhyme uh are important to me because hedonism uh uses the descriptive or motivation for why frank wants to get the box and do all this stuff which leads to the, also the question we'll have to cover in a minute, which is how, do word, how, how did word get out about this? But 
Um, it's not hedonism to me. It's like there's a black hole that he can't fill. And I think that a lot of people ascribe that to either queer people or BDSM as if uh, whatever level of BDSM is something that one enjoys is the manifestation of a black hole or something that can never be fulfilled. You know, you know how people say, oh, well, the problem with porn is... Uh, and this is a very homophobic, queerphobic, transphobic statement, I think. Well, porn, though, see, the thing is, you just, you you, you get desensitized. Or, or I think sensitized is actually the correct way of saying it. But they also say desensitized, which in actual mm-hmm. fact would mean that you could watch a white coder film from the 60s and be like, oh, ooh, and then come in your pants. But mm-hmm. <laughs> the the idea that you need more and more extreme because that's the perversion uh, that's, I don't like hedonism used as that. So, uh, to me, it's not about the sex because he seems to be an occultist as well. The candles. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I, I have no doubt that he's killed people before, maybe just for the experience. Yeah. He's certainly like into some dark shit for sure. And I can see how people would see, you know, him trying to escape from hell, like him trying to get out of the closet. But I don't know if I agree with that because he gets sent to hell because he's in this pursuit of experience. Um, You're not in the closet because you're like in the pursuit of experience. That's like the opposite. Like, you're there because like you can't really be who you are like he was trying to discover more about himself so then he got locked up like that doesn't it makes sense like like him getting out of hell isn't like you know him escaping like this prison of his own making or society or whatever or it's it is like him escaping the the prison he was put in but like I don't I don't necessarily like agree with it being an allegory for being closeted there's an because he's like with like a bunch of women and like maybe he's like fooled around with dudes like maybe he's like he's bi but he's like still very much like gets it up for Julia yeah he gets it up for Julia and something that I found interesting in the se- uh, with the second one uh, in mind is that when when Julia needs the same kind of assistance that Frank does mm-hmm. in terms of getting the bodies, they're all except for one or two women. Now mm-hmm. that that might just be uh, a matter of or a function of the fact that the doctor is following the same thing about um, picking up women at a bar, which actually makes me think of how. The movie does skewer heteronormative uh, activities and tropes yeah, because, but right? it's it's so much more difficult to pick up women from a bar because they're afraid of being murdered. Like, and they're smarter. Wouldn't it wouldn't it make more sense to to be cruising? You know, like, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Like if if they were really thinking, um, so I think that that kind of like is 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 one. You know, it doesn't quite prove the the queer motivation now thinking about the heteronormative tropes in it and in that way the 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 the, uh, refutation i think is a refuting of those that 
these guys are all seemingly cheating on their partners, whether it's mm -hmm. ex expressed or implied. And that's what that club looks like, which by the way, that set, the bar set is amazing. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. And that has to be a real place. I'm not big on going to shooting locations, but I would like to have a meal in that place, but it's probably doesn't mm -hmm. look like that anymore. But that whole like, hey, it's not, you're drinking alone. It's like the cheesy pickup lines, the cheesy. And then uh, Larry, whose name I found, so I'll find it again. Uh, I've, I know I've seen him in something else, but he reminds me of Terry, what's his name, who was in the the Stepfather movies. Um, he, he really plays that sort of middle of the road Americana guy. And this is a heteronormative thing that's awful too. He's like, Hey, babe, well, what's wrong? So he's he's the overly yeah. de the overly deferential nice guy, which is a trap a lot of guys get into. I'm sure I did it myself uh, in that relationship that thankfully uh, left my life. But he's enmeshed with Julia. He's not even thinking about like the fact that they clearly are not having sex at all. Mm -hmm. And he's who does he enlist? And we may have I may have mentioned it before. He tries to enlist Kirsty to uh who clearly doesn't like her and never has to, mm -hmm. hey can you be friendly with her could you go over and talk to her which is also uh, putting the emotional labor on a woman again because mm -hmm. he's terrified of this stuff he, he just he can't deal with any of it you think about the family dynamic with frank and him and they don't even know if they're british or american so that uh <laughs> yeah that helps as well much much to ponder very much to ponder much and many to ponder what are what are some other aspects of the film that either struck struck either stricken you at the time or come to mind a lot out of the blue mm. i think about the pet shop scene a lot and um, the guy she encounters just eating a fistful of crickets. Oh, I uh, thought they were bees. I didn't even realize that they were crickets. Oh, yeah. Because, um, you know, you, like, you get crickets at the pet store to feed your pet frogs and things. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, I don't know if, you, if you've ever had to, like, buy crickets for anything. But of all the feeder insects you could buy, crickets are the worst smelling and <laughs> the, like, worst to keep because they're always dying. They're, like, a, a pain in the ass. So, like, these eating crickets of all things, I'm like, oh, like, you know, there's the mealworms, like, aren't quite as bad. Like, if, if you have to eat bugs, like, mealworms, <laughs> um, they're not too bad, I can tell you. When you had mealworms, how were they prepared? Were they uh, in, in some kind of thing that that um, obscured what they were or how they tasted? Because I've had well, crickets. They were they were, they were fried. Um, I can't remember if they had like a coating on them. Probably some kind of salt and pepper. But this was like before I went vegan. Obviously, this is like when I was a child. Um, but yeah, that always strike struck me. I feel like with the man that whole arc with him is yeah. just kind of like unrealized like it feels unfinished it does and i was wondering if it was deliberate but then again another great thing is when you forget that happens but there's so much going on that you forget about that guy i mean mm -hmm. he, when he reappears after peering out at kirsty who seems to have some kind of psychic ability Mm -hmm. that she can see stuff going on even if it's just in her dreams and she inherently knows how to handle the box 
And another amazing thing is the woman is the strongest character. She's the strongest character in the whole film. Uh, she actually battles those things. Uh, a lot of women in other horror films, when that hideous thing is chasing her down the hallway, it, it would just be like, ah, ah, and freeze in place and then get uh, gobbled up. But mm -hmm. And then Tiffany in the second one as well uh, goes back into the hell to get the thing, to figure yeah. all that stuff out. Um, and I guess moving on to the second one, because this is following the through line of that, um, we see that guy again at the end of Hellraiser 2. There must be a name for that thing at the end of horror movies where it's like, here's the gag that tells you that, oh, there's going to be a sequel. It's not quite over yet. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Though. Yeah. I don't know, but it's TV Tropes probably has something written about it. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that's one thing like I never understood. Like, who is this dude? Why is he here? Is he is he the devil? Like, what's he doing? Why is he eating bugs? Why is he eating bugs? And then why is he um, why is he in the collection of the Cenobites or then the baby in that that really mysterious pillar thing that comes up? Have you ever considered yeah. what that is? Because we only see the pillar of gore after someone has been ripped apart. And it's like, are they on that thing? Are they in that thing? Yeah, is it is it like a trophy? Is it like a totem pole? Yeah, it might know. be. It might be. Oh, and also when we move to the second one, uh, there's a lot of questions I have about how the hideous doctor, what is his name, Doctor Calliope? I, I could look it up, but why bother? Um, but we all know who we're talking about: the bad doctor. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the scariest scenarios I can think of: being in a mental hospital, unable to leave. And the doctor is a sinister doctor, which is sensed. But then when, he, well, you know, we see straight off, he's playing with a girl's brain, just like Hannibal Lecter mm -hmm. in uh, Hannibal. And that, that's never going to, you're never going to find out later that he's like a, a, you know, the guy like an awakenings who cures people with Parkinson's or whatever. It, it, right. He's got a woman's brain open. They don't show it closing. Um, and he, again, he's a guy who's obsessed with, essentially immoral things, no matter what way you look at it. Like he is so keen on the horror show stuff and somehow has three of those boxes. Like there's more than one. Um, yet they're in a shell. They're in the case. They're in a display case. And, but this is the thing that I wonder about. Now we get into later, like, as you said, later on in the third one, their origin stories. I think we get enough of it in two because we're left with the knowledge that a pinhead was a human being at some point and mm -hmm. right and and also kirsty figures it out on her own in a short period of time which of course is yes script logic plot function yeah of course but that that also like proves you know your your hypothesis of her having some kind of um psychic abilities and that helps me with the because sometimes you could look at stuff and go oh, yeah well that's just plot logic which every once in a while i've said to someone i was watching alien and they talked during it which is not my favorite thing with a climactic moment it's when ripley's in the <laughs> ship and all that stuff again sigourney weaver <sighs> stunning um and that's a great example as we'll get into more when we do the actual alien movie club 
the 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 revelation or the uh, groundbreaking nature of the woman being the heroine whatever mm-hmm. i don't know the the one who fig- not just figures it out but won't stop will not give up uh and all the guys are not the guys aren't bad but you know um what's his name ian holmes certainly is um yeah. <laughs> and all the stuff it says about capitalism that's the other thing i love uh, horror and sci-fi allow a commentary on all the ills of the world in a way that doesn't hit you over the head mm-hmm. but they can say stuff using fantastical scenarios that a lot of films couldn't say and you wouldn't want them to say straight out but um yeah your thoughts on the doctor and maybe your thought both now and also the circumstances in which you first saw the second one i mean most of what i remember from the second one the doctor besides all the sex that you had during it (laughs) the doctor doesn't stick out to me much as much as um like what julia's going through Mm. um for me the doctor is just kind of there um like the it op- the movie opens really strong with I'm in hell help me like mm-hmm. that's like super hardcore um and I don't know I think we I think all of us had like have had a creepy doctor um yes and like that's like who came to mind like like watching that I was like oh the doctor kind of reminds me of you know <laughs> this and this shitty doctor I had um but um but i think it's also you know like a a statement on people in positions of power who are abusing that um and it's it's like doesn't go outright and say it it like shows it um but it's it's still it's still there in a a sort of subtle way like hiding behind that that horror veil and you don't really see what you've you're sensing something and his ears uh prick up when Mm -hmm. when he hears the stories that kirsty is telling and this right like he's like oh i want to talk to her and he knows all the stuff she's saying is true and Mm -hmm. he's well why don't we keep you here give her something to keep her asleep and all that stuff poor kyle Mm -hmm. poor kyle he's just trying to help he really gets it bad um can you imagine being like, I'm gonna go check out what my boss is doing, and then seeing, <laughs> seeing all this shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then almost having the uh, the 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 mental patient who, uh, the mental patient who is in the straitjacket screaming for them to get off me, to get off me. You think, oh, the poor guy has the delusion, uh, like the guy. Did you ever see Bug? Have you seen that movie? Mm-mm, I haven't. Oh my god, it's on Prime. I can't recommend it to you highly enough. A friend of mine uh, was. Uh, going to see a, a double feature they're later the last two narrative films friedkin made bug and killer joe also that one it's so intense and it's a it's an, a drama nc-17 so it's it, it's in it not exactly like crash but it's hardcore and like in the first two minutes you see gina gashan uh bottomless and it's just like oh nice it's it's good and it's that's what started the reconnaissance incidentally because he stopped <laughs> playing like uh, beach boys or whatever and he made this vicious movie but bug is the one he made before that both written by tracy letts the guy who wrote august osage county which i haven't seen but bug my friend said oh i'm gonna come with you to that double feature but i'll meet you for 
the second movie because Bugs, one of the greatest things I've ever seen. I never want to see it again. <laughs> so, Please. but with that mental patient, you think he's hallucinating. You think that he's uh, paranoid schizophrenic. Then you find out uh, the doctor apparently has been keeping maggots on him. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was another moment I grossed out at, and I thought Charlotte had no problem with this. What was that thing that you had when you had a cage on your head? It wasn't for a sh- it wasn't for a, a film. It was for a. Shoot. It was just for fun. I love that. I love that. That, yeah, so that my, it gives me such joy, friend, Charlotte. I can't tell you because it's like so outside of I'd be like, huh? My, <laughs> yeah, my friend. And and I'll have to um to hop off soon to start making dinner. But Oh sorry, um, yeah. I, I tend to go on. Oh no worries. I love it. Um but my, my friend Ian um it, it takes really cool photos and he's always um got super interesting ideas and he always knows a guy. That's one thing about him. I know a guy who can make a box. And um, we, um, I wouldn't say a break in. We found ourselves in um, an abandoned hospital, um, which was super cool. There's like old paperwork. There's old, um, you know, stretchers and old like tubes and things in the whole building is like falling apart. There's like plants growing through it and like paint peeling off the walls. Um, it's super cool. It was like, it's so fun to explore. Um, and, uh, we, um, had the box filled with cockroaches and like the only tricky thing was like, the only the only tricky thing (laughs) we both wish there would have been like more cockroaches because like you don't really see them like i kind of wanted to be like you know like struggling to breathe with the amount of like roaches um but you know somewhere like crawling around like on my neck and like um you know my face and like the walls but they're shy creatures like they really like I thought they would all be like swarming my face, but they were just kind of like, oh, like what's this big human? Um, but yeah, like we were just, you know, trying to think of like um, interesting concepts to do for photos, like in an abandoned hospital. Um, so you put a box of cockroaches on my head and then um, the ballet, it's just for fun because they look very cool. Um, and that was like on one of the stretchers that was just already there, like um in the the building. Um, but yeah, that was that was just a, a for funsies thing. Here's the thing I, I was just thinking about with the doctor. The thing that fascinates me so much about his character is how does he have all of this info on the the the, the structure, if you will, the superstructure of this world of what Pinhead is? How does he know? Because who comes back? Yeah, they they don't really explain it. And it's like, it's not like the doctor has gone there and come back. Like, we don't really know. Um, unless he's just, you know, super into, maybe in this universe, like, it's kind of like an occult legend, mm-hmm. which would explain, like, why in the first movie, like, Frank has all the candles set up. Maybe it's like, right, you know... Right some kind of legend like oh you know this unlocks this portal to this world um 
just like people who are really into like Aleister Crowley and stuff. Like you can't like prove a lot of that, but like people who've read a shit ton of books, like they could tell you a lot about that part of the occult. Um, so, so maybe like in, in, you know, the second one there, that's just part of the universe is, is the, the hell with the Cenobites that you can access, like with the lament configuration puzzles, um, is just part of this, um, other like realm, this like ether, this, um, this area area of occult study that somebody could be like really nerdy about um but also it's kind of like well he if that's true then he can't be the only person who's like super obsessed with learning all there is to know about it because he's a doctor he has more resources for studying and experimenting with those sort of things compared to the average bear (laughs) that makes total (laughs) sense and it also explains a bit why Frank would be buying the thing, excuse me, to begin with, and then how it, it's back where it came from, even though it was thrown in a fire at the same exchange mm-hmm. table with a guy that sounds like James uh, Hong from, uh, or Fong, I don't know which one it is, from Big Trouble in Little China. But um, yeah, so there is, there's some kind of following of these people. There has to be, right. And who knows, another inference could be someone else was in the world by mistake and closed the puzzle before anything happened. So a lot of questions, a lot of answers, mm-hmm. and a, a lot of uh, wonderful conversation. I didn't even realize how long we were going today. So right now, time just flies. It does. And thank you so much, Charlotte. And uh, I'll get in touch about our uh, many, many other movie club. Uh, I know we've got to do so many. <laughs> I know we really do, and I'm really looking forward to it. So I'll make a list because uh, there's a bunch: Cronenberg and etc. Alien, all the and the, uh, the great thing is with Alien, we can all then that's g- going to give me impetus to watch the rest of them, uh, and which oh, are yeah. there are a lot, and so that informs the whole rest of the thing. And uh, after we uh, sign off, maybe I'll watch three, maybe I'll just uh, wait on it, cogitate. So uh, have a lovely uh, dinner. What are you making for dinner? Out of curiosity. That's a good question. I had stir fry last night. I might do a pasta. Pastas are easy. Maybe veggie burgers. I don't know. I kind of make like the same few things like on rotation, but I just went to Trader Joe's the other day and got a whole bunch of stuff. So I'm sure sure I can cook up something. Yeah, that's good. And the one last note about food. The last time I was at Trader Joe's, they had all these new snack things like clusters of chocolate with crushed up potato chips. And Ada and I were talking about how, yeah, it's very healthy there. And then on all the shelves in the middle, it's like, hey, come, kid, come, come to have this stuff. Come oh, my God, this. the snacks. I'll tell yeah. you what. <laughs> I have recently become addicted to these, the, um, the <laughs> sweet and spicy pecans. Oh, my God. It's four and a half servings per bag, and I eat the whole thing in one sitting. <laughs> See, I'm going to be, t- pecans are my, I, I'm going to, I'm going to end yeah, up it's, getting It's those. like a thousand calories in there and just <laughs> can't stop well, myself. It's so good. <laughs> see, I think that's the message. We just can't stop just like Frank or Julia. Yeah. So someone's going to have to uh, hit the box. We're going to close the box now and uh, 
things are going to disappear, like the lights and everything. Thank you again, Charlotte. It's always really lovely seeing you. Thank and you so much, you. Craig. It's always good to talk to you. And thank you again, Goth Charlotte, for getting me out of the world of the puzzle box, a.k.a. the lament configuration. But you knew that already because you are a hellraiser connoisseur. Go over to patreon.com slash Craig and friends and then get involved. Get in on the action for future movie club tapings. Uh, let's see. Like I said at the top, to live and die in L.A. Oh, Grease 2 with a very special guest I don't want to announce yet. What else? Brian De Palma's Blowout. And there's one or two other horror titles that are coming your way. So be scared. Be very scared. And be sensible. Go to patreon.com slash Craig and friends. And then after that, head on over to Goth Charlotte's page on OnlyFans. The links for all this stuff are in the episode description below. So it couldn't be more served up on a plate to you than that. Maybe a platter? I don't know. I'll have to think about which one is right. Uh, while I reckon with what I just saw and experienced the untold pleasures and pain of Pinhead and his backup band. What's your pleasure, sir?